scripture reading for tonight is from Habakkuk. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. The righteous shall live by his faith. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you, Jenny. Um, I told the morning service, if Marissa goes into labor during service, that they should just get into like small groups and read Habakkuk and pray and leave. But I think we could all just go to the hospital together because we're a small group. We'll just... <laughs> Grab some food on the way, grab a couple cornhole boards, set it up in the parking lot, and make a night of it. I've thought about this. That sounds fun. So you, you're officially invited if that happens. <laughs> That'd be a first, right? Probably. Uh, well, if, if you're new, um, we've been going through the Old Testament for about a year here at Redeemer. And so at this evening service, we just picked up where the morning service was, okay? And we are in the Minor Prophets, which is the end of the Old Testament. We're almost done. And when I, these books are called minor, I say this every week, that doesn't mean their message is less significant, okay? They're just much shorter than the much larger prophets, okay? Um, and really, our theme in this mini-series mini through the minor prophets has been living life from the top down rather than the bottom up. Living life from the top down rather than the bottom up. And what we mean by that, that is, instead of starting with our circumstances, right, and letting them determine what we believe about God, and eternal things, we want to start with God and his promises and truths about him and eternal things and use that as the lens through which we view our circumstances. And the way we live our lives, especially during tough times, depends on which of those two worldviews we, we live with, right? Bottom up or top down. And because of our spiritual deadness, because uh, naturally, apart from Jesus, we're separated from God, we naturally work from the bottom up. Like, we're not in tune with him. That's not where we start when things start to happen. We work from the bottom up, and that leaves us a mess most of the time. So really, we need to be transformed in our hearts and our minds and in our eyes uh, and the way we view and live in all circumstances to have an awareness of God's goodness and his sovereignty over all things. And this little book, Habakkuk, I'm not even going to ask you to pronounce it or find it, uh, page 7, 86 in the Black Bible in front of you, uh, if you need to find it. Uh, he challenges our worldview. He asks us to, to turn it upside down. Habakkuk himself lived in a time of very bad circumstances. 
And he was tempted to, make, to come to faulty conclusions about God based on what was happening around him. So in this book, we actually see his spiritual journey. I like this book because it's almost like we get a peek inside of his prayer journal. And we see him wrestle with God. He struggles with God. He has a really tough time understanding what's going on around him and how God is doing anything in that mess that, that he's living in. But after he wrestles with God, we see in the end that he trusts God and he learns to live by faith. And that, living by faith in God, living life from the top down, produced a, an enduring joy and hope in his life that we see at the end of the book, right? That last passage that Jenny read, uh, probably one of the most beautiful and challenging passages in the Bible. I'm going to read it again. Chapter 3, just 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Right? Uh, in spite of all that bad stuff, worst case scenario, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Most of us, I would think, we want to be able to say that, right? Don't you want that type of faith? To be able to say that, you know, whatever comes my way, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. But, you know, we often want it without going through the hard stuff that we see Habakkuk go through in the first two chapters. Habakkuk did not start with that awesome mindset. He was a mess at the beginning of the book. And so it was a process that he worked through in his heart with God, and only then did he learn what it meant to live by faith at all times. So we're going to look at Habakkuk's journey, and we're going to learn how does God work differently than, than, than we do or we would have him. And how do we live a life of faith and have that kind of joy through all circumstances? So, uh, in your worship folder, there's an outline. The complaint and the response. It should probably be plural. The complaints and the responses, because it's a dialogue. Uh, secondly, the life of faith. And finally, enduring joy. So, the complaints and the responses. Again, I just said it. The book of Habakkuk is a dialogue between the prophet and God. In chapters 1 and 2, they're going back and forth here. They're having a little roundabout. And in chapter 3, Habakkuk prays. And really, in this book, he's crying out to God, and he's asking two questions that are as old as time. These two questions. God, where are you? And secondly, why are you doing this? Or maybe it would be better to say, why aren't you doing something? Where are you, and why aren't you doing anything? So let's look at his complaints. In chapter 1 and 2, he complains to God because his circumstances were bad. Well, what was going on? He lived in a nation called Judah, right? They had split from Israel. This was God's people. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already fallen for their sins. God used another nation to judge them, and they were no more. They were done with. So Judah should have learned their lesson by watching what happened to Israel. But Judah did not learn their lesson. And Habakkuk's living in this mess. And so what he's seeing is the people in Judah are becoming morally and spiritually corrupt. They're worshiping idols. They're offering their children to false gods. They're allowing God's temple to fall into ruins. All of this stuff is going on. They'd forgotten God. They were living life their own way, and they were making a mess. And so Habakkuk, living in the middle of these bad circumstances, had reached a boiling point. And his frustration overflows, and he directs it towards God. Because he thought God was letting sin go unpunished, and God was not being just. That's what he thought was happening. And so he complains to God. So he starts out by complaining. Now, let me give him some credit here. Because he complains to God, one, we do see some faith there. He does turn to God. We've got to tip our hat there. All right? He calls out to God. He cries out to God. And he also believes that God is good. 
and just, right? He assumes that God should care about this bad stuff and should do something about it. But there's also a defeated, almost accusatory tone towards God, uh, pretty cynical. And so and we, we read two through four, and so really in my words, uh, he said, Lord, how much longer do I need to cry out to you? Right? How many times do I have to do this? And how much messed up stuff has to happen until you actually do something? This is what he's saying. Why do you, why do you put me through this? Why do you sit there and act like none of this is wrong? The law was thrown out the window a long time ago. There's never, never any justice. The wrongdoers always get away with it. And the people who are actually trying to do the, the right thing are being trampled on by the wicked. The evil prosper. Your people suffer. There's no justice. What's the deal? That is basically what he's saying to God. And so I ask you, and us, really, can we relate to feeling that way? Have we ever looked at what's going on around us in our lives and we let those things determine what we think about God? Have the things in our lives that's happening led us to make statements like, well, God just must not care about me. Or make statements like, well, he just must not be good. We are tempted to let our circumstances bring us to conclusions about God. Job went through that. The psalmist went through that. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How much longer do I have to go through this? And so that's why I said this is as old as time. I mean, I find some comfort in the fact that all kinds of people in the Bible had these feelings as well. We're not alone. So what does God have to say to Habakkuk and to us in the face of our complaints of his apparent absence and his uh, apparent apathy towards our circumstances? Let's see what God says. In verse 5, Okay, there should have, uh, well actually that was in this morning's worship folder. There's a break in the text where the Lord responds. So you see it's the Lord responding. He responds to Habakkuk saying, look, I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if told. In other words, he says, hey Habakkuk, I am doing something. In verses 5 and 6 he says, I am, twice, I am doing something. You just don't see it right now and you wouldn't completely understand it anyways. But I'll tell you anyways. He goes on to tell him. God's first saying, I'm not absent, I'm not apathetic, I'm actually present and active, and I do care. So the Lord goes on to explain about what he's going to do about the problem of Judah's corruption, and he says that he's raising up the Chaldeans in verse 6. This, that's another name for the Babylonians. They were an evil, pagan nation. Uh, the Lord goes on to explain what they're like in the following verses, and they're, they're bad dudes. You don't want any of them. And so he's raising them up, and he says, I'm going to use them as an instrument to judge Judah for their sins. So this is like a be careful what you pray for moment for Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk, you wanted something to happen? Smackdown by Babylon coming right there where you're at, to Judah. Be careful. And Habakkuk loses it. (laughs) In verse 12, Habakkuk responds. And you can almost see Habakkuk like processing what the Lord just told him. At first he responds, he's like, okay, God, you're good. Okay, you know what, what's going on here, right? He's like, let me get this straight. You're raising up a more wicked people to judge your people for acting wickedly. Are you kidding me? That doesn't make any sense. Those guys are worse than we are. And he goes on, and he and again, says the, he makes the statement, why do you just sit there and look at wrong, like nothing's wrong? And in chapter 2, verse 1, we see Habakkuk's rant in. He ends his response, and I picture him just crossing his arms and standing there. And he basically says, you know what, that plan's not good enough. That's not fair. 
that's not right. So go back to the drawing board and come to me and give me a second proposal because that's not okay. So I'm going to stand on this tower and I'm going to look out and see what you have to say for yourself. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I'll take my stand at my watch post. And he says, I'll look out to see what he will say to me. The Lord just responded. Habakkuk did not like what God was doing and it was a direct challenge to God. You know, often for us, it's not good enough that God do something, right? We want him to do something in our way, on our schedule, because we think we know best. Based on Habakkuk's response to God, we see that uh, Habakkuk's original complaint, he was not asking, he was demanding, right? When God responds differently than we would have him respond, or he tells us no, our response tells us whether we were asking in the first place, or we were demanding God to follow our orders. And that's what Habakkuk is revealed right here. So I want to ask you, where are you unsettled in life? Where are you complaining and frantic and stressed out and angry and impatient and and worrying right now in your life? One of those things, every single one of us can probably relate to a few of those. And we act those ways because what? We want our circumstances to change, right? We want our circumstances to change. We want the timing of things to change in our lives. Things are not happening fast enough. And those, those responses by us are flashing warning lights, like on the dashboard of our spiritual life, that something's wrong. Any of those things, when we manifest our, when we act those ways, something's off. We're not living by faith, because if we dig underneath that stress and our worry and our complaining and our impatience, that's really, if we dig underneath that, what that is is unbelief in God. That, that's me saying, God, I'm not believing in God's goodness. I'm not believing in God's sovereignty, right? His control over my life. I'm not believing God's care for me. That's why I complain. Things need to change. That's why I stress out. That's why I worry. That's unbelief. Those actions reveal that we don't trust God and we don't like the way He's working in our lives, right? I mean, if God would simply consult with us, everything would be just right, right? If he just had the information that I knew, then maybe he'd do things differently. But he just runs off and does his own thing, and that's when things get a mess. Because God won't come and talk to me first. It's pretty prideful, right? Our pride knows no limits. And really, here we see the difference between religious people and true believers. Listen, religious people find God useful. He's a tool to be used. He's a means to another end that they have in mind. God is an instrument to accomplish their agenda. He's a, he, he's a vehicle, right? God is a vehicle to get me to my desired set of circumstances. And then I can get rid of God because it's not really God who I want. I just want this certain set of circumstances and I'm going to use him to get me there. That's what a religious person, that's how he approaches God. There's no faith, there's no trust or intimacy there. Only demand. But the, the, the righteous, the destination of the righteous is God himself. Not a certain set of circumstances. The destination of the righteous is God, not a certain set of circumstances. So God begins to do some work on Habakkuk's heart to get him to that point. In chapter 2, we see God assure Habakkuk that he will punish Babylon at the right time. God pronounces five woes over Babylon. He said, they'll get theirs in their time, Habakkuk. But you know what? you got a bigger problem. You need to get your heart right. You need to learn to walk by faith. Otherwise, you're going to spend your entire life acting frantic and complaining and worrying and being restless and looking to your circumstances to bring you peace and happiness when the problem's actually inside you and it's between me and you. 
That's the real problem. Otherwise, you're going to spend all your life looking in the wrong spot. And I think for us, we can relate to that. We continually, not just one point, come into faith, but all of life, we need to show attention to our hearts. Now, like Habakkuk did, when we start with what we see and experience and we work up to God, we get into trouble because we come to wrong conclusions. That's bottom-up living. But when we live by faith and we work from the top down, only then will we learn to be content and, and have joy in all circumstances, even when God's working mysteriously and in confusing ways. And remember, uh, Terry read, my ways are higher than your ways. You don't quite understand them. So you have to learn to live by faith. The life of faith. The Lord begins to answer Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk's standing on this wall. He's like, that's not good enough. So I expect God to kind of like swat him off the wall and be like, tell me what to do. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing here. But God's patient with him. And he says in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the righteous shall live by his faith. And God is saying, I think God's saying to the prophet, trust me. Right? I know things look unclear to you. I know that sometimes things may look shady to you. I realize that that you don't completely understand that I can work in a way that seems contrary to how you think I should work, Habakkuk, because you generally live as if you alone know how all things should work for you and everyone else. Can we relate to that? But you really don't, Habakkuk. Right? You don't see it all. So trust me. And learn to live by faith. Quit looking at your circumstances and look at me during these confusing times. And God is showing Habakkuk that what will really bring him peace and joy and contentment is not a change in his external circumstances, but a change in his heart. And so God takes him on a journey of the heart in chapters 2 and 3. And that's what we all need, right? We will only find peace when our hearts are right and at rest before God. There's an early church father, right, over 1,500 years ago named St. Augustine, and he said, Our hearts are restless, O Lord until they find their rest in you, right? Spending all of our lives restless, looking in all these different places, never finding it, fleeting rest. That's a miserable way to live. And so I ask you, is your heart restless right now, right? Are you just restless? Are you looking for rest and peace? And are you looking for that in a change of circumstances? And so I would like to say that maybe you need to just be still and and get right with God. And talk to God. Because the bad news is, we're talking about bad circumstances, right? And just saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. Well, we can't know that things will be okay unless we're made right with God. And God's solution to that is through Jesus, his substitute, who reconciled us to him. Being made right with God through faith. Because actually the Bible says that if we are separated from God, right, by our sin, things are not okay. And you have every reason to worry and stress out and panic. There's no assurance in this life or the next because God is actually against us in our sin. We've tried to live life on our own, so we have put ourselves in a position where we are against God. So the way to find peace in life is to repent uh, from doing life apart from God and put our faith in Jesus. And the good news, here's the good news, is that God did work in the most mysterious way in all of history by sending his own son, Jesus. God in the flesh. Isn't that mysterious that he would come and take on flesh and live a perfect life and die on a cross to reconcile people who are completely opposed to him? Isn't that mysterious? That God works in ways that are higher than our ways? Thank God his ways are higher than our ways because we never would have done what he did. 
And by faith, we're reconciled to God and we're made alive to him. And we're given eternal life. So the righteous shall live by his faith. That is salvation. Come to life. Your spiritually dead uh, self comes to life by faith. And, And the promise of the gospel is also that we don't have to panic like Habakkuk did when God is working in ways that we don't understand around us. We don't have to panic or worry or stress out. Because we were saved by mysterious ways. God made us right with himself uh, through a way that we don't quite understand. And hopefully we get a little more of it every day, every week. So we can take heart in our confusing circumstances because God loves to work in mysterious ways. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he quotes this verse twice in Romans 1 and then Galatians 3. And in Galatians 3, we read in our assurance, he says, no one is made right with God by the law. But the, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, nobody can get right with God by what they do. Nobody can get right with God by doing all the right stuff. But only by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And because uh, it's not by anything that we do, this tells us that Jesus did not love us because we were useful to him in any way. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Jesus didn't love us because we were useful to him. He doesn't need us. One pastor in our network Wednesday, we have a meeting, we talk about the passage, and he said, man, he said, Jesus rejoiced over me when there was no fruit on my vine. Amen. If anything, I'm a time-consuming, messy, renovation project for God, right? Some of us more than others. I'm up there. I'm time-consuming. I'm a pile of bones. I need a lot of work. He does not need me. But the Lord says, I loved you even when you were fruitless. I loved you. That's the grace of God given to us in the gospel by faith. The righteous shall live and come alive by faith. So if you're struggling with what God's doing in your life right now, and you're tempted to think that God has forgotten about you, like Habakkuk, Habakkuk, right? Where are you? The psalmist, how long, O Lord, will you forget about me? If you're tempted to think that way, or you think that God's apathetic towards your circumstances, look at the cross. If you're a Christian, look at the cross. God's not forgotten about you. How could he? Right? He shed his own blood for you. The Bible uh, says we're the apple of his eye. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds really good. Right? I'm the apple of God's eye. Amen. In Isaiah 49, 15, this verse moves me every time I read it. It basically says that uh, you will forget about your own children before I forget about you. Is what the Lord says to me. And my wife is due Wednesday, and I can't stop thinking about Brooks, little baby Brooks. I can't stop thinking about him. And God says, Jeff, you'll forget about him before I ever forget about you. What do you mean, have I forgotten about you? Right? He says, your name is inscribed on the palms of my hands. My son stands before me with wounds all over him, pleading for your good. Right? When I rescued you, we threw a party for you. Angels rejoiced in heaven when you came home. I've prepared a place for you. I sing about you. I haven't forgotten about you. Isn't that good news? And so because of that truth, we can live by faith. That means God's in control of every single thing going on in our lives. The timing of all situations, the way everything's going down, where we're frantic and stressed out, God's in control of that. So we need to let the story of God's love, quiet the busyness of our hearts. If your faith is in Jesus, the gospel is the guarantee that God is good and he is for you. 
You don't have to work your way to Him. He's for you. And so we can trust God in all circumstances, even the ones that we don't understand, like Habakkuk. He did not understand it. We can live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Now the New Testament goes on to quote this verse one more time in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. And it shows us that the spiritual life, the Christian life, is not only born out of faith, but it's also fueled by faith. All of life is lived by faith. And one byproduct of a life of faith is a life of joy, a life of enduring joy in all circumstances. So my final point, enduring joy, right? I can know all of these good things, but to be honest with you, they don't always manifest themselves as joy in my life. Anybody relate to that? It doesn't always get from my head to my heart, especially during tough circumstances like Habakkuk. So let's look again at the end of the book, right? Verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree, this is where Habakkuk ended up. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Again, Habakkuk was not in this frame of mind and heart at the beginning of the book. He was a mess, right? So he had to do some faith exercises to reach this point. Because by the end of the book, he had changed, but his circumstances were still the same. Things were still just as bad in Judah. But now he's saying, look, no matter how bad things get, no matter what my circumstances are in this life, I will rejoice in God because my sense of joy and hope are rooted in and tied to Him, not to my circumstances. So I ask you, is your sense of joy, are you just up and down all of life, right? Or is your sense of joy and hope tied to and rooted in God? Or your circumstances? There's a world of difference between the two. So how do we practically, right, day-to-day, cultivate joy in our lives? Joy is something that God gives. We can't work it up. I stink at working up joy. Sometimes in the morning, like, I know I'm off. I'm like, I need to be more joyful. I'm like, it's just fake. Like, you can't fake joy, right? God gives it. But I will say this. We can cultivate it. We can take care of it. So how can we do that? In order to, to have joy in all circumstances, we have to be disciplined. Right? A life of faith and joy does not just happen. A lifetime of cultivating faith and joy produces a harvest of faith and joy in the day of adversity. Right? If, you, if we spend our lives cultivating faith and joy, it will produce a harvest of faith and joy when we do uh, come, come to meet the day of adversity. And I think there's two aspects of one discipline to cultivating joy. Looking to the past and looking to the future. So I'm going to call it remembering and expecting These are gifts that God's given us to grow in a life of faith and joy. And I think if we do these things while we abide in Jesus, we will grow in joy. So first, remembering. If you look in chapter 3, verse 2, Habakkuk, right? He's he's had a mess. He's went back and forth with God. God's kind of set his peace. That's how it's going to go down. And finally, Habakkuk begins to pray. And he goes on for 15 verses recalling the good works of God from the past. For 15 verses, all he does is remember. And the spiritual discipline of remembering is not just merely recalling facts, but it's like intentionally dwelling on those good things that God has done for us in our hearts. Things he's done in history past for us. Things he's done in our own lives in the past. So Habakkuk calls to mind specific things that God has done. It's like a faith workout. This right here. So I ask you, can you, like, can you look back on your life and say things like, I didn't understand it at the time, but I do now. 
Right? I couldn't see what God was doing. That was so hard. Uh, but now I see what he was doing, and I'm so thankful that he did things his way and not my way. Can you say that? That's where we build our faith and joy muscles to help us endure tough circumstances by remembering the good things that God has done and the, the ways that he's worked mysteriously. And it gives us comfort in the present when he's working mysteriously. So I ask you, is your heart a mess right now due to your current circumstances? Are you just all over the place, worried, stressed, frantic, anxious? Let me ask, have you been still before God lately? I'm not saying that's a cure-all. That's not going to cure your circumstances, but we're after your heart. We're not after your circumstances right now. Have you taken time to remember His goodness towards you in the past? Can I encourage you this week to do that? By yourself, or with your spouse, or with a child, or a close friend, to just sit down and remember. Those things, there is joy to be found there. You will end up laughing if you really take the time, and you'll probably end up crying if you take the time. And both of those things are good, and we need those. Over what God has done in your story, that's worship and faith and joy grow right there. So Habakkuk, his busy, messy heart has now grown still, and his loud, frantic, complaining mouth has turned to praise. Because after remembering... Right? He's still, he is still before God. He's content and he's full of joy in the same crazy circumstances that he began with. So again, slow down. Remember, talk about when things were hard. Talk about it and the blessings that you've seen come from it. And that's where we will build joy and we'll grow closer to God and one another if we do that with one another and by ourselves. So remember. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor and an author, and I love the way he said this. He says, just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. I love that. Joy builds on the past and it borrows from the future to take advantage of in the present. We can pull from both ways if we're Christians. We can borrow joy now from what is yet to come. Isn't that cool? Expecting. So because of what he's done for us in the past, how faithful God's proven himself, and because of what he has promised to us as Christians, we can be hopeful and eager for what's to come. Expecting is a way to access joy in the present. Because if our faith is in Jesus we have a multitude of promises that are guaranteed to come to us. They're guaranteed. So we need to dwell on the promises of God. One day there will be no more tears. Right? My wife cries every day for no reason because she's so pregnant. That's good news. No more tears for her and for me. Right? No more sin to fight. The sin that you continually struggle with and it won't leave you alone and you get tangled up in it. You won't have to do that anymore. No more broken relationships or awkwardness with family or friends or anything like that. Complete harmony, complete openness. No more sickness or pain. No more bad news. Just complete joy and peace. Habakkuk 2.14, we see one of the promises right here. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, everything will be made right. And the Lord told Habakkuk, Hey, my timing is perfect. Those things that are yet to come, Don't think they're slow. Look in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, uh, the Lord says about those future things, He says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing is perfect. God's promises are sure, and they are building, and they are coming for the Christian. So so take, take heart and find joy and hope there. If we practice remembering and expecting, we can, we can access joy in the present from the works of God that have taken place in the past and the ones that he's yet to do that will work out for our good. And practicing this 
right? The spiritual discipline will take time and intentionality. You know, roots on a tree, from what I understand, they can only grow deep if that tree stays in one place, right? That's deep, right? I'll tell you why. Uh, I won't say any names, but someone in my family recently, they, they bought a young oak tree. And when I say young, those things are still over 100 pounds, like over 10 feet tall. So we came over, and we dug a hole, right, and we planted the oak tree, and we're like, all right, that's nice. You know, you step back, and they looked at it, and they go, that's a little too close to the house. You know, I didn't take that into account when we started, but that thing's going to grow up. The branch is going to get over the roof. Ah, we need to move it. Serious, right? We dug it up, right? Dug the oak tree up. Oh, they found the new place. We planted, we dug a new hole. We planted the oak tree in a new spot. I kid you not. We stepped back. This thing's big, and... They didn't notice there was like some power lines kind of close. They stepped back. They're like, oh, man, that's going to hit those power lines one day. That's not going to be good. We probably need to move it, right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I probably should have said something, but this is on them, right? So we dug it up, and we finally moved it one more time. And finally, we were good. In a couple of weeks, that tree was dead. <laughs> like, I kid you not, 100 pounds. They paid 100 and something bucks for that thing, pretty and everything. It was dead as could be in like two weeks. That tree was too busy, right? It was our fault. Blame it on the tree. Its roots didn't have time to grow deep. It moved too much. It was too busy. It never stayed still. Listen, too much busyness and movement produces shallow spirituality, if any at all. Too much busyness and too much movement in our lives produces shallow spirituality, if any at all, because we were not made to work that way. Sabbath. Sabbath is woven into creation and it's woven into us. We were made to stop. So spiritual growth and faith and joy requires times of stillness and silence and solitude and prayer and time in God's word. That is when our roots grow deep. Sabbath. So to do the things that I've mentioned, to cultivate joy in our lives, to remember and to expect, we have to slow down. And we have to schedule intentional blocks of time to be quiet with God. That is, listen, that is one of the most loving things you can do for yourself and for your loved ones. Is for you personally to practice Sabbath and stop and be quiet and be still sometimes. Because, when, look, when I don't, when I neglect my own messy heart and soul, and I don't take time to process my circumstances and the things that are going on in my life, when I don't do that, I don't take time to view my circumstances through the lens of God's goodness and his promises, I'm a mess. And I'm saying to God, I can do life without you. And my messiness overflows onto other people. Do you follow me? Because I have not done the hard work on my heart. The mess of my heart overflows to the people around me, and that is unloving. One way you can love your neighbor is for you personally to practice Sabbath. To be still to be quiet with God and get your heart right, then you can operate and love people the way you need to love people. Otherwise, you're just going to go around all your life venting and stressed out. Oh, I I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I do it to my wife all the time. She's so patient with me because I'm not responsible enough with my own heart. I've been so convicted over that lately. So let me ask you, how are you strategically planning to do that in your life? Right? Doing the work to cultivate a deep, enduring, anchored joy in God, settling ourselves on the gospel, And God's promised us that fuels us in living a life of faith and it prepares us for whatever may come. So God promises us, right? Habakkuk 2.14, all things will be made right. We can trust his ways. The cross guarantees that. It shows us that. 
And listen, all of the things, all of the circumstances that we don't understand, one day they will be made clear. Some of that will happen in this life as we gain perspective, right? As life goes on, we can gain perspective on what God was doing in those circumstances, and that's good. But a lot of it we won't know until we're with Him. But I think that our joy will be so full when we're with Him, we won't even care to know, right, what those circumstances meant. Because Jesus said in John 16, He said, I'm coming back, right? And all of your sorrow will turn into joy. And I love this line. And then He says, and then no one will take your joy from you. No one. Abide in Jesus. Practically, remember, expect. So that when the tough times come, right, when the vine bears no fruit, when the cattle stalls are empty, whoever owns cattle out there, right? When they're empty. When devotional times seem dry. When our kids' behavior seems to never improve. Amen? Anybody? Yeah? All right. I, I got the spirit in here. Right? When your marriage hits a, a rough patch, when finances fall, when suffering comes, right? When any of that comes, like Habakkuk saying at the end, no matter what, no matter what comes my way, we may be sorrowful, but not without a deep, joy, steadfast, immovable joy in God, and we'll press on in living by faith. If we, if we, if we abide in Jesus and, and take care of our own hearts, we have to do that. And so, uh, after sermon, we sing a song of response or a song of reflection where we sit, and so I'm going to ask that we take the time to do that during this song, right? Just be still, right? Just pray, remember, expect, be thankful, abide in Jesus. Right now, let's begin our week's Right? Living from the top down. Because there's no telling what we're going to run into this week. Let's start by viewing all of our circumstances through the lens of God's goodness and His promises to us in the gospel. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You uh, that You are a God of kindness. Uh, I thank You that You're a God of patience. Habakkuk vented his spirit to You, and You easily could have told him to get out of the way. You could have punished him. And I think each of us... Uh, we're, we're much more like Habakkuk than we like, like to admit, at least the Habakkuk early in the book, where we complain and we stress and we worry and we say, God, what are you doing? Oh God, help us to look at the cross of your son Jesus and, and whisper your love to our hearts. Quiet our busy hearts. Still them. Put them at rest. Bring them calm before you right now, God. Uh, and, and, and out of that, Lord, give us joy, I pray. Give us joy as we settle ourselves on you. Keep our eyes on you, Father, we pray. We seek you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If, if you have ever ran long races or you've watched runners, you watch them and they get those cups of water as they're running, and you see them just do this, and I think like 5% of the cup actually gets in their mouth. You ever tried to drink while running? You have to stop and stand still to really drink. And so this week, I just want to encourage you to stop and be still. Jesus said he is the, the river of life, that we get life from him. And so in order to stop and, and really take, take that in, we have to stop. So do that this week. And this benediction is the promise that he is with you no matter where you're going or what you're doing. If your faith is in Jesus, he's with you and he's going to work everything for your good and his glory. So receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Go in God's peace. Amen.